Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. With me this morning to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Glory to God. Can anybody tell me what days we're living in? The last days. If you go through and study what the Bible has to say about the last days, you'll find out that the last days is, is uh, uh, that phrase does not refer to a point in time. It refers to a period of time. And it's referring to the time of the gospel, the gospel era or the church age. In fact, hold your place here and go with me over to Hebrews chapter one just to get a, uh, a picture of this. Hebrews chapter one, verse number one and verse number two. One says, God who at some various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. See, that's talking about the Old Testament days. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So you can see that the, the era of the preaching of Christ, the coming of Christ, his first advent up until his second advent, this is the time that's called the last days. Amen? The coming of Christ is in two advents. He came first in his first coming. He will come again. And so in the Old Testament, a lot of times those two aspects of his coming, those two advents wasn't very clearly revealed. The, the Old Testament just talks about the coming of Christ. It took the New Testament to show us that his, that his coming would be in two advents. His first advent, which is, of course, when he was born in Bethlehem. His second advent, when he, recome, when he comes again in clouds of glory to exercise the vengeance of God in this world and to set up his kingdom. That's the second advent of Christ. And so we're living in the last days, and these are the days of the preaching of the gospel. Now, have you found Acts chapter 2? Glory to God. Hallelujah. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, verse number, we'll start in verse number 14. And we're going to read from the Old Testament. In other words, we're reading from the New Testament, but it's a quotation that's taken directly out of the Old Testament. And I think sometimes we, we short ourselves a little bit. We, we, we limit ourselves by not looking back at the Old Testament to actually read the verse as it's recorded in the Old Testament. So we're going to do that this morning. Hold your place in Acts chapter 2 and turn back to the book of Joel. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. That's how you find it. Here, pages turning. Let everybody get there. Joel. In chapter 2, to sort of get a setting, in verse number 23, he's talking about the last days. And he's talking about the time of the outpouring of the Spirit and, uh, and the rain. In verse 23, it says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your, your God. For he, the Lord, has given you the former rain faithfully, 
and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat and the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. And my people shall never be put to shame. Verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, if you turn back to Acts chapter two, you'll see that Peter on the day of Pentecost, and we know what happened on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. The, the uh, 120 who were assembled in the upper room waiting on uh, this blessing and this promise of the Father that Jesus had told them about. The Holy Spirit came. He was poured out. The uh, believers there were filled with the Holy Spirit, verse number four, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, if you drop down in verse 14, this is Acts two fourteen, Peter... Standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall, we just read this passage in Joel chapter two. So he quotes it here. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall see visions and your young men shall dream dreams and on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Then he continues to give the rest of Joel's prophecy. The rest of this prophecy, prophecy though, applies to the day of the Lord, the very end of the last days. We're in the last part of the last days, but at the very final end comes the day of the Lord. And these next verses, 18, 19, 20, 21, refer to that time. So we're living in the time right now of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I made the statement last week, and I want to state it again, maybe state it a little more clearer so no one misunderstands me. I said that uh, the day in which we're living right now the most important feature of it is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But let me clarify that. The gospel era, the purpose of the gospel is the salvation of men. That's why Jesus came. He came to seek and to save those who were lost. So the purpose of the gospel and the gospel era is the salvation of men. But next to salvation, the most outstanding feature of the gospel era is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came upon certain ones. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was poured out or came upon the prophet, the priest, and the king if they were uh, obedient to God. And then 
others who were especially called for certain jobs or certain functions, like the, like the judges, you know, that uh, judged Israel right before uh, Saul's time. Uh, and so when the judges came uh, on the scene, the Spirit was given to them. They received, the, the Holy Spirit came upon them to equip them to serve in that office, whether it was prophet, priest, king, or one of these judges, or then there were even other certain people in the Old Testament to accomplish a particular task, or you could say to fulfill a particular mission or a particular calling uh, uh, of ministry upon their lives, the Holy Spirit would come upon them to equip them and to enable them to do something that they couldn't do in their own strength. But as far as the rank and file, if you want to say it that way, that way the average person in the Old Testament, the average Old Testament uh, believer, child of, uh, of, you know, of the children of Israel, the, the servants of God, average ordinary people, even though they were a part of the covenant of God, they didn't have the Holy Spirit within them, nor did they have the Holy Spirit upon them. So in the, in the New Testament era, other than salvation, the most outstanding feature of this era is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. Amen. Now, consider this. I've, I've mentioned this to you of, of, uh, three or four years ago in teaching, and I'd never really seen uh, this before that time. But it's interesting to notice that all four Gospels record John the Baptist introducing Jesus to the people as the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting because there are not very, there are not very many things, sayings or events and so forth that took place concerning the, the coming of the Lord and, and his life and ministry. There are not too many things that are recorded in all four Gospels. For instance, the Christmas story. The story of the birth of Christ, you know, and, and how the, uh, the Holy Spirit came and the angel came to the Virgin Mary and how the Holy Spirit came upon her, all of the things that happened. That's only recorded in two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. If you read Mark's Gospel and John's Gospel, if that's all, you, if that's all we had, we would know nothing about the supernatural birth of Christ. There's no reference to it. And, and think about how important an event that was, and how central it is to, to Christianity, and it's only recorded in two Gospels. And so there are a, a few things, though, not many, there are a few things that are recorded in all four Gospels, and the fact that John, when he introduced Jesus to the people of his, de of his age, he introduced him as the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's very important. Uh, also, I noticed this. John the Baptist only made two declarations about Jesus. There are only two declarations he ever made about Jesus, who he was and what his mission was. Only two. One was that he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you remember reading that? When the other disciples were there, of his own disciples, and he, and he saw Jesus coming, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that's the most important thing. That, that is the most fundamental uh, 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 purpose of the whole gospel. He came to take away the sins of the world. But then John said one other thing about him. He said, and also, he is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
Why is that significant? It had never happened before. There was no experience in the Old Testament where all of God's people were, were filled with the Spirit. It just, it, it would be something unheard of. I'm sure that when the Israelites of John's day, when, he, when they heard John talking about the one that would come after him as the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, I, I'm sure that excited them. They thought, oh my goodness, you mean that all of us are going to be filled with the Spirit? We're all going to have the Holy Ghost come upon us? That's exactly what he meant. That's exactly what he meant. Amen. Therefore, to baptize with the Holy Spirit is a fundament, fundamental reason why Jesus came. It's not the only reason. We know he came to save. But he also came to baptize men with the Holy Spirit. He also came to, sa- he came to save men from their sins and give them eternal life and to give them a new birth, but he also came to fill them with the Holy Spirit. That there would be an entire class of people, an entire race, if you want to call it that, of new creation men and women who would rise up in their generation unlike any other generation before and not only be saved, not only be called the children of God, but have the power of the Holy Spirit abiding upon them and it wouldn't be for one or two or for certain ones and certain ministries, it would be for all of God's children to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. That's very important. Amen. Jesus himself said, just before he ascended into heaven, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He said also, do not leave until you are clothed upon with this power. He said, I send the promise of my Father upon you and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Glory to God. I tell you what, the age that we're living in, the gospel era with its message of salvation that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, that he poured his life out to redeem men from their sins and to give them eternal life and, and, and to give, make them new creations, to recreate them, give them new life, a new person, uh, 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 to, to make them sons and daughters of God. All of that is, is given and then we're also told he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what place does the Holy Spirit's baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what place does that have with these other things? In other words, if the purpose of the gospel is the salvation of men, then why is it so important? What is the significance in association with the salvation of men? What is the significance of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Because again, we've mentioned that you, you, you talk to a lot of people today and they would say, well, you know, the salvation, the message of salvation, that's it. That's the whole thing. That's what we need to be about. We don't need to be uh, uh, about any other things. We just need to focus on salvation, preaching the gospel of salvation, getting people saved. Well, as good as that sounds, that's not true. Because, because Jesus came not only to save, but also to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he takes personal ownership in this because Jesus is the one of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who actually does the baptizing with the Holy Spirit. 
John the Baptist said that there was one coming after me who was greater than me and I'm not even worthy to, to unloosen his sandals. He will, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So this is a ministry that is personally, uh, it personally belongs to the Lord Jesus. He is personally involved in this. It is his ministry when a person is saved, the next thing for that person that Jesus is waiting to do after the spirit of God. See, when someone hears the gospel, responds to the gospel by faith, receives Christ, believes on him, he is born again. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. I said regeneration or recreation. In other words, the new birth is a procedure or an activity or a work, you could say, of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who regenerates or recreates that person and causes them to become a new person in Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But right after that, the next thing, on the agenda, as far as God is concerned, is Jesus then steps to the plate to this one who has been recently born of the Spirit and Jesus then baptizes that person with the Holy Spirit. Now, we mentioned before, that doesn't come automatically. Even though it's the next thing on the agenda and it's the next thing Jesus is waiting to do because why did he come? He came to save the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He came to fill with the Holy Spirit, to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Even though that's the next thing on the agenda, we see from the scriptures that it doesn't just take place automatically. It has to be, there has to be an, uh, an exercise of faith on the part of the recipient. That person must believe on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, believe for it, and believe God for this experience. Just like the new birth only comes in response to a person's individual faith. A person on purpose, consciously and deliberately believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved. Well, by the same token, that same believer then must consciously, on purposely, uh, on purposely, purposely believe on the Lord, uh, believe to be filled with the Spirit. Are you believing? Are you listening to me? I get my words tangled up here, but I'm, I'm thinking faster than I'm, I'm talking faster than I'm thinking, I guess. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Where was I? I got so tangled up I forgot what I was saying. Praise the Lord. A person has to intentionally, just like he intentionally received Christ as Savior, he must intentionally receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so Jesus is waiting to baptize believers in the Holy Spirit. What's he waiting on? He's waiting on their faith. Well, how are they going to have faith? Faith comes by hearing. I said, how are they going to have faith? Much of the church world doesn't have any faith for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they're not hearing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They've heard that it passed away, that it's not for today, that God's not doing that today. Well, how can you have faith listening to that? You can't. There's no faith in that. That robs people of faith. Glory to God. That's why it's important for the church today to be bold in its witness about salvation but also about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because these are the two pinnacles of the New Testament era. People are to be saved and then to be filled with the Spirit. Now, I asked the question a minute ago and I'll get back to it. What is the connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and salvation? Why does salvation need to be followed up 
with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Other than the fact that it's a great blessing and it's unusual and it never happened before in, in, in other times, you know, before the New Testament era, other than that, and it's a promise of God and he gave it to us and, and anything of God's good. Other than that, what's his purpose? Power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall receive power. Just like in the Old Testament, the prophet could not fulfill his ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit. The priest could not stand in his role of priest. He could not function in the priesthood priesthood effectively without the anointing, we call it, of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon him. The king could not lead the nation of Israel as he ought to and as he should without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Remember how uh, uh, Saul, uh, 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 Samuel laid hands on Saul to anoint him as king? And then he laid hands on David to anoint him as king? There had to be an anointing that came uh, to, to allow that person to operate and fulfill that ministry office. The different judges of the Old Testament, Gideon and, and, and so forth, these different ones, they had to have the Holy Spirit come upon them to what? Empower them. To empower them. Well, we have a, we're not just children of God. We haven't just been called to float through life with a little, uh, uh, you know, uh, banner over our head. Woohoo, I'm a child of God. We have a ministry here. I said, we have a ministry here. We have a purpose, and that purpose requires power. It requires the power of God. Amen. Go with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16. Hallelujah. Praise God. Notice in what I'm about to read the connection between salvation, getting people saved, and power. Notice the connection between the two. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who, is he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That's the, that's the basic salvation message. And then Jesus took a breath in the very next sentence. He said, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So he lists these supernatural signs that would follow people who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, go into all the world. Now get this, go into all the world. He's talking to his, his 11 apostles. He's talking to the rest, you know, who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead and who had believed on him. Certainly the 120 would have been in this group and others. And he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Here's what will happen. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Amen. There must be, I started to say there should be or there ought to be, but there must be 
supernatural signs that follow the preaching of the gospel. Amen. There must be. In order for, Jesus connected these two together. He said, go and preach the gospel and then these signs will follow those who believe. Notice, these signs do not just follow the preachers, it followed, these signs follow the believers. One translation says, these signs shall follow the believing ones. These signs shall follow those who believe. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, go to work, witness to people, on the job, at home, wherever you find yourself, you know, in life, always be ready to to preach the gospel. But then these signs should follow those who believe. These signs are to follow. There must be power. There must be demonstrations of power. There must be acts of power. There must be signs and wonders that follow believers. Now, when I was growing up in the Pentecostal church, we were always warned. We were given this warning. Now, just remember, young man, signs follow believers. Believers don't follow signs. And that was kind of a, kind of a, a wet blanket, if you will. That was kind of thrown over, you know, some of us young uh, you know, men who were just stirred up. We just wanted to go out and change the world and we were just so interested in, in the Holy Spirit and the power of God. Now just remember, son, signs are to follow believers, but believers aren't to follow signs. Well, I'm gonna follow everything God says. I'm gonna follow everything God says. And if he says signs should follow, then I'm gonna follow what he said. And I'm going to expect signs to follow me because he said they would. If you call that following signs, you can say what you want to. I'm just going to obey God. I'm not going to water it down and try to make excuses for why nothing's happening in somebody's life. Amen. If the gospel is being preached, let me say it this way. If the gospel is truly being preached, there will be signs following. Amen. Let's continue this verse or this passage, and then we'll look at another one. So then, after he said that, after he had spoken this to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, and many people were saved and just became nice church people (laughs) and had nice, calm, Boring little church services. No, they went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Amen. Go with me over to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. Romans 15. And let's read in verse... We'll start in verse 14. Do you have the, the uh, uh, English Standard Version on your, one of you guys? Do you have? Pull up this, this passage in, in English Standard and pull it up in uh, the Living New Testament. Do you have that, Steve? The Living, what, what's it called? The New Living, yeah. New Living Bible. Now, we want to specifically, when you pull that up, we specifically want to look 
at, let's see. We want to look at verse 18. That's the verse that I want you two to, to be able to read for me. We're going to start in verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish other, uh, one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in things which pertain to God. He said, I have reason to glory, not in myself, but he said, I'm gonna glory about some things. I'm gonna exalt some things. I'm gonna talk about some things. I'm going to bring some things up and make a lot out of those things, not in myself, not to bring attention to me, but I'm, I, these are things that I have a right to glory in in Christ. All right? Verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. In word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, the way that's worded in verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished in me. This is written sort of, you know, someone might, might if they're talking about their house they just built, they say, well, I'm certainly not gonna talk about the house you built. I'm talking about the house I built. So that's one of those negative statements that proves a positive point. Well, I'm not gonna talk about the house I didn't build. Talk about the house I did build, okay? That's really what verse 18 is saying. Read to, this to me, Pastor Greg. Uh, which, no? Uh, ESV, yeah. In the English Standard Version, is that, is that what it is? Yeah. Verse 18 says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That's what he's saying. Read it in the New Living or give it to me. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the, gospel, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. Paul's saying, I'm not, gonna, I'm not boasting in myself, but I will not fail to boast in what God did through me. And he said he did this in bringing the Gentiles to the gospel, to make the Gentiles obedient. Now notice, here's what, here's what God did through him. In mighty signs and water, wonders, by the power of the Spirit of Christ, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Notice, I have fully preached the gospel. That's why I said a moment ago, the gospel has, is not fully preached unless there are signs and wonders. I said the gospel is not fully preached unless there are signs and wonders accompanying that gospel. There are a lot of people today who will criticize people who make a lot of the spirit, make a lot, 
you know, to do, make a, make, say a lot about the work of the Spirit and the importance of the baptism of the Spirit and the importance of miracles. A lot of times they will criticize and say, you people have gotten off track. You need to just focus on salvation. That's the most important message. And that, since that's the most important thing, that's, where, that's what we're sticking with. And we're leaving these other things aside because they're not very important. You cannot accurately and adequately preach the gospel without the power of God being in demonstration because it's part of the plan of God, not only to save, but to empower people. Because God wants us not only saved for our own selves, he wants us saved so that we can bring somebody else in, so that we can be effective in ministering to other people. And that's why we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can fully preach the gospel. Paul said, I fully preached it. And what made it full? The miracles, the signs and the wonders that accompanied it. Glory to God. That's why we call it the full gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. God intends in this era, in this day in which we live, God intends that the gospel be preached and it be accompanied by signs. Now that's not, that's not a fleshly desire for a Christian to want signs in these days, some people would criticize that. They say, well, you know, you're seeking after signs and Jesus said, you know, a sinful and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. What Jesus was talking about was some kind of sign to cause people who knew the word and knew what the Bible said to accept what the Bible said. He said, there's not gonna be any sign given to you other than, you know, my death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus did say that. But Jesus also said these signs shall follow those that believe. So he can't be against all signs because he said these signs. Paul said, I fully preach the gospel through being accompanied by these signs, these mighty miracles and mighty deeds and, and, and the power of God. It's the gospel in this generation in which we live the gospel needs the accompanying signs. The gospel isn't complete without the signs. We, as believers, need to embrace the signs. We don't need to be embarrassed about the signs. We don't need to apologize about the signs. We don't need to sweep the signs under the rug. We don't need to relegate them to a back room on Tuesday night where we just have a little meeting for people who might be interested in the deeper life, but we want to keep it quiet so that on Sunday nobody gets offended. No, we're to be about everything the New Testament's about. And, and I tell you what, Jesus said, these signs shall follow. Yes. Glory to God, I want the signs. If I'm gonna have the gospel, if I'm gonna have Jesus, if I'm gonna have salvation, I'm gonna have these signs. And if I don't have the signs, that tells me something's wrong with the, with the experience I have. I didn't say you're not saved. I didn't say that. But I'm saying something's lacking if there are no signs. These signs will follow them that believe. Now, the first and foremost sign that follows the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking with other tongues. Because we see it in the New Testament. When people were filled with the Holy Spirit before anything else happened. People were born again 
And then subsequently, when they heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were filled with the Spirit. And as soon as people were filled with the Spirit, the very first thing that happened, and it always happened, is that people spoke with other tongues. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. So, well, pastor, we, we believe in this. Why are you hammering us? I want you to understand how important it is. It's one thing to believe in it, but I don't think we, we really see how important it is and how central it is. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is central to the gospel era. It's not a side issue. It's not a, a Pentecostal doctrine that's been tacked on to the side. It's not something that is, is uh, uh, lesser and not so important. It's not, it's not something that's auxiliary. It's part and parcel to the preaching of the gospel. Jesus came to save. He came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, if it's a ministry Jesus has, we ought to, we ought to be interested in it. We ought to honor it. We, want to, we ought to want it. We ought to talk about it. We ought to share it. We ought to let people that we know know about it. A lot of people don't know. A lot of people, I would, I would say that most of the people you work with have never thought about the fact that Jesus has a ministry and, and that it is his job to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. They've probably never even considered that before. Amen. Well, it's important. Have you found Acts chapter two? Let me find it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is verse one, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice the very first time people were filled with the Spirit, all of them spoke with other tongues. Of the 120, 120 out of 120 spoke with other tongues. They were all filled with the Spirit and they all spoke with other tongues. That's, that's the model. That's the divine model. That is the formula. That is the standard. This is what God does when, when people believe him and embrace everything he has, this is what happens. Why doesn't this happen today? Well, because those things don't exist. People don't fully believe him. Much of the church world it not only doesn't embrace these things, they outright reject it. Well, listen, we, our... our, our uh, struggle is not with flesh and blood. We're not out here trying to, to change uh, and fight with people, but our job as Christians is to faithfully tell the truth. Faithfully share with people. Now, if somebody wants to fight with you and argue, just, just, just skip them. Just say, have a nice day and go to somebody else because I'm not interested in my, You can never win a religious argument anyway. No kind of religious argument has ever been won. Religion and politics, just forget it. You can't win. 
And, and, and I'm not interested in that. But there are people whose hearts have not been hardened, who are hungry, who do, in spite of what they've heard in their church or from their family or from their you know, generations past, in spite of that, they're, they're aware that something's missing. They've, they've embraced Christ. They've believed on him as Lord and Savior, but they know there's a yearning on the inside for something more. They know there must be more. Those are the people I'm interested in. Those are the people we must be diligent to open up to, share the full gospel, fully preach the gospel, that Jesus saves, that he fills with the spirit, glory to God. And what will happen? People will begin to speak with other tongues. Isn't that what happened in Acts chapter two? Go over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This was some 10 years later. About 10 years passed from chapter 2 to chapter 10. In verse number 44, when Peter was preaching to the household of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, a Roman official, didn't, was not part of the Jewish culture or the Jewish religion at all. He was preaching the gospel to him. While Peter was still speaking these words, Jesus did something. I said, while Peter was still speaking these words, Jesus did something. He baptized these people with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's exactly what he did. While, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. In other words, the Jews were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. See, this, I'm sure when Jesus, when, excuse me, when John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and he shall baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm sure they were thinking, ooh, we, we're all gonna get the Holy Ghost. That's something new. That's something wonderful. In the Old Testament, not, you know, the, the average uh, person in, in, in Israel, the average believer, if you will, didn't receive the Holy Spirit, but we're all gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. But God had bigger plans than that. He had bigger plans than just filling the Jews with the Holy Ghost. They hadn't really seen this yet, but they were amazed, astonished, beside themselves, didn't know what to say, didn't know what to think, hitting themselves on the forehead, looking at one another in, 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 in sheer amazement because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Men, women, children, boys, girls, everybody who came to Cornelius' household. Everybody that was packed into that house today, none of them, none of them Jews, none of them part of the old covenant. God poured his spirit out upon every one of them. Glory to God. How do they know? How did they know? Can you see the Holy Spirit being poured out? Is it like something, you know, just floats down in a room and you can see it, you know? No. How did they know that the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how they knew. That's how they knew. That's how you know today. That's still how you know. Glory to God. And, and then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized 
who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Glory to God. Peter, Peter went there thinking he wasn't even supposed to be visiting these people. He wouldn't even gone hadn't, hadn't this, if the Holy Spirit hadn't appeared to him or talked to him. If he hadn't seen a vision, he wouldn't even gone with these people. God had to show him a vision to even get him to go to these people's house. And then after the vision, he didn't know what to make of it. And the Spirit said, Peter, go with them. I sent them. So he got there and he said, well, I have this much light. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step over, out over the aching void of tradition and I'm going to accept that we shouldn't call you unclean. And now here they're all talking with other tongues just like he was. And he had a, an epiphany. He had a revelation. He suddenly realized, wait a minute. Not only am I in their house not only am I preaching to them, not only are they believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're, the Holy Spirit's being poured out. I mean, that was something that just belonged to the prophets in the Old Testament and the priests and the king. And here are these Gentiles of all people. Of all people. Just praising God in other tongues. They were shocked. How did, they know, how did they know they were filled with the Spirit? They heard them speak with other tongues. Amen. Go over to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Hallelujah. And I'll close with this. Acts 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him of who, who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now there's this big controversy that's, that still rages today. People still like to argue about, argue about it. Some people say these people were saved because they believed on the Lord Jesus because Paul said, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit after you believed? And they call them brethren. I tend to think they were saved. Other people say, no, they weren't saved yet. Well, it doesn't really matter, but by the end of verse five, they're saved. Isn't that right? They're at least saved by verse five, whether they were before or not. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul himself, not in a mass baptism, there weren't any people hiding back in the, you know, in the, in the shadows he couldn't see. There were only 12 of them. So he personally baptized them himself. So they were saved. Isn't that right? Then, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Hallelujah. In every instance, in every instance, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the number one first sign that people have been filled with the Spirit is they speak with other tongues. Listen, remember a few weeks ago, I said that the devil is not afraid of God having power. The devil is afraid of you having power. The, God, the devil knows God has power. The devil also knows that God has given this earth to men. 
the devil knows that God is in a place where he has delegated the affairs of this world to men. So the devil knows that God is not by his own, now not by his, his inherent power, he can do anything, but by virtue of, of what he has declared and he'll not violate his word, the devil knows that God is not just free to do anything he wants to do in this earth. Now that rattles religious people, but understand how I'm saying that. He has the, God is all powerful. He can do anything, but he will not violate his word. And when God created this world, he gave it to mankind. He gave it to Adam. He said, now you exercise dominion. When Jesus came, he came as the, as the last Adam. And, and he came and he fully walked in all of the provision that God gave Adam before Adam sinned. That's why he exercised absolute authority in the, in the, in the realm of the earth. Over nature, over provision, he, he, he exercised authority over everything except people's wills. He couldn't exercise authority over that because God will not violate a person's will. But he, he turned water into wine. He walked on water. You know you can't walk on water. Have you noticed that? That's just impossible. Jesus did it. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. He, he did uh, uh, many, many marvelous things. He did that because he had authority. Well, the devil knows that only men have authority in this earth. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist religion, says that it seems that God can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. Well, that's absolutely true. Otherwise, why do we have to pray? Why did Jesus say, why did Jesus say pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send laborers out into his harvest? It's his harvest. They're his laborers. Why didn't he just send them? No, he said we have to ask him to do it. So I said all that to say this, the devil is not afraid of God having power because the devil knows God cannot use that power any way he wants to in this earth. The devil knows it takes men operating in the power of God and that's why the devil will oppose men and women of any generation having the power of God in their life. He will fight it. He will resist it. He'll do everything to turn people against it. The devil hates the power of God. He fears the power of God operating in people. And is it any wonder that much of the church world deceived by the traditions of men and doctrines of demons, is it any wonder that the church world has, has no place for power among men. Isn't it interesting that Christians everywhere love Jesus the healer? They just don't want you to heal. They, they, in little Sunday school classes all over the world, in sweet little uh, 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 well-behaved churches, sweet little churches, you know, that don't have anything going on, you know, everything's just so and everything's just so proper. Just don't, don't raise your hand. Don't do anything. Don't even act like you're going to get outside that program for that service. But you, in all of their classrooms, little kids, they'll read about Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead. They'll read about the miracles of the Old Testament. They'll reason about, read about Moses and the bulrushes. They'll read about Noah. They'll read about Elijah. They'll read about the apostles. They, they love, they love a Jesus 
of power. They just don't want anything to do with Christians with power. It's okay back then for them, but it's not okay today. Why is that? Because they're deceived. The, the, the God of this world has blinded people into thinking there's something wrong with somebody that has any power in their life. You should shun them. You should be suspicious of them. You need to laugh at them, mock them, separate them yourself from them. Don't let anybody know that you even know anybody like that. Run them out of your church. Tell them they're full of the devil. Tell them it's not for today. So if they mock them, they'll mock us. They got mocked on the day of Pentecost. You're going to get mocked. Just write, just write it down in your little, in your little uh, 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 bulletin. I will be mocked. And just go ahead and, and uh, uh, digest that. Go ahead and accept that. If you're going to live for God, if you're going to be victorious in God, if you're going to have power in your life, people are going to mock you. But other people are going to come to you. Other people are going to come to you. Other people are going to receive from you. Other, on the day of Pentecost, it says that they were amazed and said, what, need to, what do we need to do? Others mocked. Well, let the mockers mock. I'm not interested in the mockers. I'm interested in the hungry ones. I'm interested in the ones who want to know. I'm interested in the ones who know they need power in their life. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.